0: Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where we connect leaders in the gaming industry to discuss passions and challenges. I'm Sol, and I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by a fantastic panel to discuss the topic of women in games and talent acquisition. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So, before we dive in, um, why don't we do some introductions to let the listeners know who you are, what you do, and what you're passionate about or something interesting. So, Renata, would you like to kick us off?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Renata. I'm located in Lithuania. I work at Wargaming as the head of Global Talent Acquisition, and I have quite a big team globally. Uh, I have talent acquisition and early career, so overall I have... If I'm not mistaken now, because sometimes I lose the number, so it's 32 people, so it's quite a lot. Uh, different nationalities, different interests. Uh, overall, really, really different people. That's what I like actually. Uh, that's why I love my team because it's uh, you can actually learn from them so many things. Uh, not just because uh, they have I don't know different nationalities, but overall interest and the 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 approach that is totally probably different from mine towards work. So. This is me.
0: Thank you. And Arna, would you like to jump in next, please?
2: Yeah. Hello. My name is Arna. I am joining you guys here from Reykjavik, Iceland, where I work at CCP Games, the creators of EVE Online. Um, at work, I do pretty much everything hiring related in, in the Reykjavik office. So anything from interviews, hiring, working with hiring managers, Um other than that, I am also a Women in Games ambassador, so I've also been in charge of creating a lot of events to focus more on gender and what we can do to make this a more inclusive space for, for gender diversity. Um, and I'm also recently into the uh, the diversity committee that we just started here at CCP, so we're also going to be focusing on other aspects of diversity as well in there.
0: So,
3: yeah,
2: it's a little bit about what I do at
3: CCP.
0: Thank you. And last but not least, Chazal.
3: Hi. Um, Hello, everyone. My name is Jaisal. I work at Limbic Entertainment as a talent acquisition and retention manager, and I'm based in Frankfurt, Germany. Um, This is my first time actually working for a gaming studio. I am new to, let's say, the gaming industry, per se. It's been around seven or eight months prior to that. I have a ton of recruitment experience uh, worked in three different continents so far. I'm basically an in Indian, I moved to US and, and New York and then um, now here in Germany, I worked in India as well. So yeah, I have worked across several industries doing recruitment. but here in um, limbic, I am the sole person responsible for hiring across all divisions, hierarchies, everything, and also retention and engagement piece of the employees here. So um, it's it's um, it's been fulfilling and great so far.
0: It's great to have you in the gaming industry, by the way, (laughs) Giselle, thank you. Thank you. Hope you're here to stay. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech, data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organisation to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Um, So uh, the three have uh, posed some fantastic subtopics here that we're going to discuss today. Um, all relating to uh, women in games slash talent acquisition as well. So there's going to be a lot of discussion around kind of diversity and inclusion as well. Um, So really, it should be something for everyone to take away from the discussion. Um, Renata, you've supposed the the first subtopic that we'll discuss today, which is, do you need to be a gamer to work in the gaming industry? And what are the main differences between them and non-gamers? This is actually a, a conversation we have regularly in our workplace as well. So, uh, Renata, do you want to kick us off and give us your insights on that topic?
1: Of course. So, uh, basically, uh, I do receive a lot of questions from the candidates, uh, especially when I'm hiring to my team. Like, look, I would like to maybe uh, consider your role, but I do not play games. And I'm, I'm really honest, usually. Uh, I'm a really straightforward person. And I'm saying, well, I do not play games, too. Uh, but I'm managing the, the the team of a lot of recruiters and uh, they are not everyone is a gamer but uh, we can actually bring so many different things so it depends on the role of course globally in the company we have roles that you have to be a gamer it's a must and play even our games for example for QA roles you have to know our games because it's 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 it will be easy actually to catch those bugs but there are roles were are not related to the actual game creation. So we constantly ask this question to the manager. So why we need to have a gamer? Uh, or maybe it's enough actually to be passionate and be curious about the games. For example, I used to play games when I was a teenager. I know how hooked at it I actually can be and I disappear from the world. So actually I have other commitments in, in life. So I actually try to uh, restrain myself and doing that, but it doesn't mean that I'm I'm not curious what is happening. So I'm I'm not afraid to ask the questions uh, to our game designers, UX designers about what they're doing. And you have no idea how happy they are when they when when they are being asked this question. So please tell me what you're doing because I don't know what you're doing. So um, I when I create like when I thought about this topic, I was thinking maybe for, more from talent acquisition perspective. Because I have different people, as I mentioned in my team. I have, uh, for example, one recruiter who plays games. She's like, knows everything about the games. When she starts talking about certain things, I feel so old that I have no idea what she has in mind. But, uh, and we have people who are really, really good performers, like recruiters, uh, but they do not play games, but they actually compensate that not playing games with other things like with curiosity with the questions uh with the their own approach to, towards managers and uh, those kind of things is it better to be a gamer when you work with the with the recruitment it depends uh for my pro gamer it's easier with certain roles to find the uh the common language with certain managers and speak uh, maybe the gamers language and uh, catch maybe certain things about specific roles faster so I as I recently hired a few people to my team I just like heard many concerns from candidates uh, so I kind of like raised question for myself so probably when I post the role that I'm looking for a recruiter many people who might be really good at this role they do not apply because they are afraid so this is the the behind-the-scenes of my topic.
2: Yeah. OK, can I jump in as well here? Yes. Yeah, sure. So this is a question that I also get asked a lot, uh, both from like the gaming side of things, like, do I have to play games? And also, do I have to ex- have experience having worked in the video games industry? And I feel like both of these questions are really important to discuss. Um, The short answer, um, I would say, is no. (laughs) Uh, Just to make it very clear. um, As Renata said, there are some roles where it is hard if you do not have experience um, in games, like whether it is as a player or working in it. Like I am currently hiring a game master right now. That's somebody to support players that are actually players of EVE Online where they come with their concerns about things that might have happened in the game. And that's really hard to support if you have not played the game um but for most roles this is something that we are willing to train if you at least have an interest in the field you know you're you want to learn this and you are engaged then you know if you know the technologies or something and we need to teach you the game that's easy if you know the game and we just need to teach you some of the technologies that's also manageable it's harder when you have both um but you know at least if you have an interest and willingness to to learn and engage yourself with it then we're very open and in iceland as well uh we do have this fun little challenge when it comes to like have you worked in the games industry before um there is very little games industry in iceland there is ccp where i am at that is the main company there are a few smaller companies. They're all very indie studios. They're still getting established, you know, just a few people in most of them. Um, and there's no way to get a degree within video gaming here in Iceland either. So there's no people with the educational background within the field. So we just really need to be aware that we might need to train these people if we want to encourage the local community to develop these people Um So this is something that we
3: discuss quite a lot in-house as well. Uh, Hi, just given my two cents as well there. um, For sure, that topic is really interesting and it personally resonates with me a lot also because I just mentioned I am new to the industry and I don't come from a gaming background or I'm not even a gamer. So, (laughs) yeah, um, you know, it is definitely something that I have come across also during uh, recruitment or speaking specifically with respect to talent acquisition, I wouldn't say that you know we're looking for, of course, for some roles, we are looking for gamers especially. Uh, but I think what matters the most is transferable skills. What I've learned throughout my recruitment career is that if you have the skills that can be transferred from a position to another or even your life experiences from one thing to another, it's easy for you to just pick up from your experience and apply to your position. So so I think, yes, uh, that's that's something which is um, a good discussion on, but it ends up in being how passionate you are and what kind of transferable skills you are bringing to the table. Yeah,
2: and if I may add even more to this, because this, this is something I'm really passionate about as well.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: We actually do sometimes specifically state that we would like somebody without games experience for some roles. Um, There are times when I talk to hiring managers, for example, if we're hiring for a team that is creating content to help onboard new players into the game, maybe it's beneficial if a lot of the people already on there really know the game really well. Then it's good to have the perspective of somebody new who's like, well, I don't know this. I don't have this background. And now that I've entered this team, I don't understand why this is the way we're doing this because this is not enough for me. Or, you know, they're able to ask these questions and challenge the way things are are done. and And that's really important as well to move things forward and and make things more inclusive and accessible for our players. Uh,
1: actually, about the learning part, right? As I think it's it's really related to the the trend that we have globally that we have to focus now into more early careers. I have I have actually the team that is focusing on that, and of course that passion uh, exists. Uh, but then we have to uh, bring that passion into our daily job, and uh, sometimes even managers, especially the or the senior specialists, sometimes you know they they go into Comfort zone, and they're so used to being surrounded by those experts that they play the games. We like know each other, we understand each other. That sometimes maybe they're afraid to let in the person who is that you know curious, fresh mind. Like they don't know what uh, uh, what they're what they're doing. Uh, but um, when you help managers to understand how much value it will actually. Like, Give to you to bring that person who I don't know, maybe played some games, but he's just like, I don't he or she is like really, really passionate and wants to learn from you. It boosts the ego first of all to especially senior guys uh, to share the, uh, the knowledge but in talent acquisition, I do agree with uh, Giselle that uh, it's, um, it's really uh, what we, are, we have to focus on when we are choosing people to talent acquisition attitude towards work it's not just about the hobbies but it's attitude towards work uh, gaming industry we all know it's really dynamic it's like really really fast-paced environment and uh, we need the person who who likes that environment so it's not just about the being a player uh, or being a uh, mm, i don't know expert uh, in game creation so it's just like we you're looking for the attitude so I'm and really in the teachers mode today uh, as you see because I was providing the trainings to managers and I was talking preaching about that a lot
0: um i have a question actually off the back of some a point that i think everyone made there um, yeah I, I also am in agreement of course that you don't need to be a gamer to get into the gaming industry um, but my question would be do you think that it gives you an edge because I think, let's say if you had candidate A and candidate B, and perhaps candidate A was slightly more technically fit for the role, but wasn't a gamer. And candidate B was slightly less technically gifted, but was a gamer and potentially more passionate as well. Maybe even they like the genre of game. Um, Be it that you can teach skill, but you can't teach passion. do you think that potentially you'd go for the candidate that might potentially have more passion but less less skill it's very theoretical there and and generalized but if anyone's got any thoughts on that that seems like a little bit of a dilemma
1: uh yeah i believe that it depends on the on the again on the role and and when i was talking i'm talking constantly with the managers and uh, we are like discussing so we have to answer ourselves so what we need at the moment do we need the technical expertise because I don't know something is burning and we just like need to focus there and then we will bring that passion from somewhere. So it depends what we actually need at this at this moment. if we uh, what is the vibe in the team, what is the uh, the level of seniorities in the team so it it depends on every each team but from talent acquisition side, what we have to do, initiate the discussion and challenge the managers to think about because sometimes it's the easiest way to go to take the technical expert. So it's like, you know, it's I I think it's we have to discuss constantly. There's no right or wrong answer in in here.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's very well said by Renata for sure. It's a tough question. It's a tough pick. You can't just um, pick one over the other in such a scenario because it also depends on factors like what are you missing in your team and you need to balance that out, whether you're missing somebody really, really technical and, you know, um, you could bring somebody else later on in the time who is more passionate about the game. That's going to be okay if you have that time again. Uh, but then you have to think about the bandwidth the where, in which kind of stage your project is right now and what's your deadline looking like. Um. So a lot of factors will play into this. But again, uh, I think I go back to my point that the drive is the most important, whether you are more technical or more passionate. But I think if you have that drive and zeal, uh, I think that would be the top candidate uh, for the position.
2: Yeah, I, I just agree with them. I, I don't know what else I can add to this, but, you know, it's it just so depends on circumstance as they both got into like um. Of course, passion really helps, but passion can also be about so many other things. Uh, Maybe you're not necessarily focusing on, you know, games. Maybe that is not like your main passion, but you might be super interested in how like the engine works and is put together. So, you know, so you're really passionate about how these technologies are used and applied and that passion could still be really great for the team. You know, there's just a different motivator other than, you know, just because I love video games although that's also a great passion. I love that, but you know, but it's just passion is important, but it does not have to be specifically video games. It can be other things.
0: Well, we'll we'll round up topic one there. I think we gave it a good go for sure. And uh, well, Giselle, you've proposed our second subtopic of today, uh, which was what barriers and challenges are commonly faced when recruiting in the gaming industry. And how do we stay adaptable in a constantly evolving industry? Um, Take it away.
3: Sure. Thank you. So um, I think this question stems from me uh, per se, because to give you a little bit background also, I've tried working, and I mentioned that in my introduction, is different industries. So when I think about industry-specific recruitment, I think about what challenges a specific industry goes through every time when I am recruiting. Um, the regular um, sort of um you know, stereotypes or uh, challenges that we commonly face are, of course, diversity and um, inclusion in this industry or competition or the volatile nature of this industry per se. Um, Even a very high demand in specialized skills, like we're talking about technical skills or, you know, engine programmers and things like that. So, Sometimes uh, these skills that we are recruiting for become so niche for a position and a specific project um, that it's tough to, you know, break into the market and acquire that kind of skill set because they're super high in demand. So it's like a a cyclical pattern here. Somebody in high demand, you're tough to acquire and then um, you go for what you get and then uh, your diversity is not in place. And it's a huge cycle that we're stuck into always. Uh, but I think these are the main commonly faced challenges. But again, if I look at gaming specifically, there are a lot of stereotypes that I would say run into this as a challenge as well while recruiting. Some people think or there is like a notion that this is a very youth-centric um, you know, role or industry to work in or this is going to be a, an industry wherein time crunch or there's no flexibility or there's too much flexibility, but you are working 24 hours a day. So you know there is no respect of time and space. Um, so those kind of stereotypes I think are also some of the barriers when especially when I're talking about hiring, let's say um, experienced individuals who are coming into the industry, and They've heard about it. It's like hearsay, but they haven't experienced. So I think these are definitely some of the challenges that I've come across. And then other challenges like geography plays into place and, um, you know, what kind of talent exists, like Arna mentioned that there is a very small community of gaming uh, industry in Iceland. Uh, Like that I feel like Frankfurt has some gaming companies, of course, yes but when we speak about Germany our thought process will go to Berlin directly that's the biggest gaming scene. So you know, that that sometimes becomes like, okay, people want to work there. Like I've spoken to artists who would say, yes, your role is amazing, I would love to work for you but you know, I want to be working for somebody in Berlin because I'm inspired by a lot of art here. I can't compete with that. Uh, so, you know, those are, I think, the commonly faced challenges here. And um, I, w- I would uh, definitely take in um, some of the comments from the panels and then we can uh, go into the adaptability piece of it. Yeah,
2: I I really echo that as well. Um, so if we start with the whole ge- geography aspect of things, um, obviously I am in Iceland um, and we decided as a company that we would not approach or like try to head turn from any local companies here in Iceland because they're all very young companies, and we could very easily kill them, (laughs) you know, to put it nicely. Um, So we are very concerned that if we start actually taking these people, then then we are going to make other projects fail when ultimately it's going to be great for all of us in the long run if more companies here are successful. So that means that most of my, you know, hiring takes place, you know, of specialists at least, is external people moving to Iceland. And that is a major challenge. So it's either that, or we are going to train people from scratch in anything video game related. Because here in Iceland, then, you have not had experience with games, nor a degree in it. So no matter what, there's always going to be a challenge there when it comes to recruitment. and that's something i have to navigate every day um like when you're headhunting like selling a family of, of of four or five with a with a dog and a cat to come and uproot their entire life and move to iceland where it's dark very dark during the winter um <laughs> and quite cold frankly um that can be hard but it's also a great adventure and being able to go hiking and quality of life. There are a bunch of other great things we have, but it is like a major life change that we're selling here. Um, So that's something that we really have to navigate. And since, of course, our topic as well is women in gaming, I would love to talk about gender as well here. Um, When I say gender, we're talking women, non-binary, like basically anybody here that's not identifying as male here. there is a talent in the sense that I think I saw like research from women in games, like the actual uh, organization, that only around, was it 21% or 24% somewhere there in that range of people working in the games industry, regardless of what you do, are women. That's a really low number. So if all the studios are trying to make sure they have diversity, there's a very limited pool out there. Like chances are, studios are just gonna have that like a similar distribution, and they're like we really need to figure out like how can we address this because the biggest challenge here, I would say, is how can we get more people to see that this is the place where they belong and are actually able to contribute and to want to go into this space. And since I, apparently we're discussing solutions later, I'll I'll stop talking for now. <laughs>
1: Uh, really good. I would say like, I, I can actually um, relate to many things that uh, the ladies already shared. Uh, even though Wargaming has 16 locations globally, it doesn't mean that we don't have challenges with locations. <laughs> so sometimes it seems that we don't have enough locations because like we are, we are hiring globally. So that means we're approaching the talent from anywhere. And to of course, from the business, we usually have the priorities in which location we would like to have. Because, for example, manager, they cannot be all the time remotely when they have the team, I don't know, located in Lithuania. So it, it's, it doesn't look like it will be like really, really efficient when the team is actually going to the office. So just to relate to that, that, even though we are not relocating into one location, we are still having a lot of a lot of challenges with our 16 locations globally um another thing is diversity that we already touched right uh it's really really hard to create diversity with a limited talent pool as if, uh, i do receive many questions from candidates about diversity and inclusion in our company and even if our managers wants to actually diversify the ca- candidate pool the teams it's like we don't have enough talent we don't have uh enough women with actually um uh, Maybe the specific experience and, of course, the the advice, and the, of course, we will discuss about the solutions. As I have one of the team, uh, uh, as early careers team, I need. I think we need to focus and push a little bit more the 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 future talent into that and create the space, like that. If there is no other way. Uh, and of course, many many biases. Um, there are many many different gaming studios, and I even uh, noticed way before uh, war gaming that sometimes, you know, the, even the managers or seniors, experts they have their own preferences, uh, which games, in their opinion, are the best, and they would like just to take from this game specific people. So. We are working uh, towards solving many, many biases and stereotypes just because we decided that, well, I like The the Witcher and that means that uh, all the people that are there should be in my team just because I like the game. So it's bias. And of course, uh, as we are a big company, I believe that I can even share even more and more challenges, but... um, like how to be flexible with those stars and their conditions because you cannot um, give everything that people want because it will be not fair for others, the rest of the people in the company. So it's like a lot of, a lot of daily challenges I would say.
2: Yeah, I agree. And it's like, this is something we've discussed quite a lot in my team. So like the way it's structured, like at CCP, like I am a part of the HR team as a whole. So we have really discussed how can we improve this? And there has been a lot of like, there's been a lot of focus for a long time about, you know, like, oh, we should target university students. We should target all of these groups that are close to like being ready to get into, you know, a profession. And that's great. We should definitely do that. However, I don't think necessarily that that will change the percentage that we're talking about. What we really need to do is try to get people when they are even younger, before they have decided what they even want to get into. Like I saw, like some research at least here in Iceland, where where um, where kids um, at around ten years old, they like below ten years old, they all think they're equally good in all the the different areas at school, and then after ten something happens, and women think they are less good at at the STEM um, areas, um, even though they probably are just as good. But, you know, it's just it's become less, you know, there's something that kicks in at least where they might not feel as comfortable entering into that space. And I think that is where we might need to start. We need to get them before this shift happens so that they can continue to be engaged and continue to think this is where I belong as well. If I want to be here, I have a place here. And I think that is something we really need to focus on when it comes to young girls, non-binary people, others that might not feel like that is an area they belong in. What can we do to make them feel like video games is a place where they can make a living and be successful at it and do great in life?
3: I 100% agree with that. And that's one of the things I think where we can talk about how do we stay adaptable in the industry is uh, one of the things that I was definitely going to refer is creating that kind of traineeship programs or maybe internship programs, which is like a path that we create for uh, graduates or interns or people who are fresh in the industry who don't know what their Um, actually wanting to do in gaming or is there a specific role for them within gaming as well Um, this brings me back to actually a conversation that I had like a couple days ago with a candidate wherein they were an artist and in their personal time they were making a game that was really technical and I'm like you could be interested. could you be interested in a technical artist position I could see the face light up it's like can that happen is that possible and i'm like of course i mean we can make that happen if that's something is like that's something i would love to do and pursue but sometimes i feel that they don't know this exists so i think creating the kind of opportunity for people to know that this can exist this is available is going to be amazing uh, for for people who are looking to get into the, their foot into the industry but don't know how or where to start I think that's one of the things that we can do to like stay adaptable in the industry at all times as recruiters. But other than that, I think um, community building is also something that uh, you know we should be focusing on. Yes, there are events that happen at a global level for for uh, gaming industry specialists, be it recruitment or otherwise. But I think we still, as an industry, lack a lot of community building. There might be communities that exist within a specific state or a city or a country, but I think at a global level it's really lacking. It's not very much um, it's not very much in focus like in other industries. Like if you talk about tech as a whole. There is a lot of community building happening there. There is no dearth of candidates there. There You have to pick and choose from like 1,000 zillion candidates that you have there. But here we need to build a kind of community. I think that will also help us stay more adaptable and in sync as, as you know, a gaming industry itself. But uh, yeah, uh, those are like my couple of things that I would think would make this industry, uh, make us as recruiters more adaptable industry. In the future yeah i i wholeheartedly
2: agree about you know increasing the amount of internships and you know getting more young people into this space um like that's something we have discussed quite a lot in-house as well like how can we do this it's it's really hard because the most important part is like when you do have like an entry-level role or you have an internship is that it's only going to go well if you make sure that they get the proper training like this is not like just cheap employment or something like that. It needs to be, there needs to be a team. There needs to be somebody like more senior that's going to take on a mentorship role. You're going to enter into it. You can grow. Like that's really important to have that in place. Um, So we sometimes run into the struggle in-house where like, okay, we can get this amount of interns this year. Like this is what our capacity is for. We would love to take on more, but we also need to make sure that we are putting them in an environment where we are setting them up for success in the long run. So so this is something we do discuss quite a bit and I wish we could do even more of it, even though we do it. I still really think that is the way to go forward. Also like to talk more about like the um, young people in general. I mean, I know I have gone out to schools here quite a bit, so I have been going and speaking to like kids between the ages of like, 10 to 15 16 and you know telling them more about what it is that we do video games we talk about it and like and we had like a really cool visit where we got i think it was like 50 15 year old girls into the office which was a very fun day um we try to do that fairly regularly we last did it last year so maybe it's time to do it again um but that's where we got a bunch of role models so women here in-house that are working in a lot of different fields. Some of them are programmers. Some of them were producers. There was myself. There were a bunch of them there. And then we mingled afterwards. And we just talked about what it is that we do. And, you know, and we got some great questions as well. Like there were women that were just asking, but what even is programming? I don't understand it. What is it? And we were just talking about it. And, and, and after the fact, I heard feedback like, where where they were apparently just like i kind of want to walk work in a place like this did you see they have a pool table and a game room and and people are always talking about games that sounds like so much fun and you know like we need to create a buzz about it and let them see that there are people here that look just like them um and and are successful
1: yeah so i i will give uh, uh my insights here uh we as a company, we do have our internships and courses. Of course, now we are focusing on the specific locations where we can actually offer that, you know, real support and real knowledge sharing with the with the students um, because we know that we have experts there and uh, not always everything online is working perfectly. So it's always nice to have, I don't know, visit to the office, to have a proper event. Um, Really good examples from Arna and uh, we actually try to uh, create something uh, similar. We have many events uh, in Prague office, for example, at least we started from that office. We will have another office as well where we have like some kind of like open days, and we are inviting a lot of people to come to to our office to meet the experts, to learn a little bit more about wargaming, have some drinks, have some snacks. You know, that's how you actually can bring different talent. And we do receive a lot of visitors uh, from the the, the women, Uh, we created a few events in Lithuania where we we approached the students or pupils and we invited them to our office to see that, well, we have the not the pool table, but table tennis. (laughs) We have snacks, we have the Xbox and all these kind of things. So for people to, in the early stage, to see what they can actually get when they will grow up and when they will finish their studies. So I think... uh, um, overall, if like gaming uh, industry doesn't have like one big event uh, to attract uh, those people, I think companies themselves they have to initiate those activities inside their companies, meetups, hackathons and open days or uh, something like that and target different groups.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, We also do a bunch of this as well. Like, I think almost like every other every third Friday or so outside of summer, of course, where vacations are happening. We do get visits from university students. Um, so we're in contact with a bunch of like university um, fields here in, in Iceland. This is like a really big Icelandic thing in the culture. Like it's very normal for students to go for company visits on Friday afternoons and get to meet with people working within their field. And so we have done that and, and, I'm doing one of them actually tomorrow as well. So so we get student groups out they actually get to meet with people that are also very senior in their fields and like they get to meet like technical directors and ask a bunch of technical questions if they are programmers and and they often get starstruck. I mean, we had a, a group of astrophysicists come here as well because our game happens in space. So every once in a while we will employ astrophysicists and they got to meet people here who are actually worked at NASA before and put things in space and we're like totally starstruck over that as well. And like these kinds of things just really creates a buzz about the company as well. And I have been like really, since I'm the contact for these um, for, for some of these uh, student groups as well. um, So I have often been arranging things with like Ata and sister who are, both programmers who are both female groups so that's only female programmers within the universities here in iceland as well so that's also a really good way to show them that they also have the space and it's been really successful so far doing it like this um it, it helps us also get you know young people more engaged in the industry as a whole regardless of gender which is which is pretty amazing
3: that that's super great to hear it's of what's happening and you know it's inspiration to draw from companies who have been doing this for a long time but yes per se at um here we try to have all the directors reach out to either their alma maters or um, industry-specific, um, you know, groups here that we have um, talk on podcasts or even visit universities. We have some universities here which do specific days wherein students do presentations and they invite companies uh, to look at their presentations, be it art, animation, etc. cetera. Um, so, you know, we we love participating in that and just having those conversations going with the candidates. And it's amazing to see how the young talent would uh, you know go above and beyond to uh, to showcase their skills and stuff like that. But I guess, I think um, other other events uh, which um, bigger companies are also doing is is worth noting and drawing inspiration from.
0: Yeah, um, just off the back of that I had some thoughts and some questions. So I mean, obviously it's, uh, it is male dominated and it's you know it's like in the early twenty percent across a, a studio. But of course, like we were saying before, it is very role dependent. I think as well. And for example, in like the the um, art and art space and design space, right, that typically tends to be like a higher split of uh, percentage in women. But then on the programming side a lot more sort of male-dominated. So uh, a question to the three of you, and I suppose maybe this is maybe a bit of a marketing question um, in terms of actually trying to attract talent. Um, How might you approach, say, an art role versus a programming role, and would you do it differently?
3: Um, To talk about it, I think... uh... That's not specific to gaming. If I am talking about a technical role within gaming, I don't think that's specific to gaming that it's male-dominated. Technical roles across... Any industry are always, always male dominant. Even if you look at the stats for um, people who do take courses within the STEM field are more males versus female. And that's why there are so many groups out there, which are women in tech, women in gaming, that are up and rising now, which are focusing that this is not going to be a gender specific industry. It's everybody can do kind of a thing. But in terms of hiring, when you look at probably approaching this, I think to approach, I would say um, again, uh, skills win uh, and the expertise wins here. Uh, yes, the idea is always to balance out the uh, diversity within the company. Look at more diverse candidates, be it um, whichever um, gender that they are, but not just male. I mean, uh, but uh, again, uh, I would say I have come across a lot of profiles in the arts team, which are amazing, uh, but they're male. Uh, and then I'm not just going to discount those because I want to have more females uh, in, in this uh, department. So I would say skills win, and that's that's how I would look at it.
2: Yeah, I I do agree with that. Like it it is most the most important part is getting the most qualified person for the job. Like we don't hire just because you are XYZ, you know, like that's that's not what we focus on as the main thing. That being said, trying to make the position as approachable or like the lower the barrier to like actually make it easier for women and non-binary people to apply, that is really important. So There's a lot of research out there about like, you know, um, women and non-binary people and even just minorities in general in any field, whether it's just gender or racial or whatever factor it is, they tend to only apply if they meet every criteria, if they have the feeling that they would be in the minority. And this is, of course, stereotypical here, like there are exceptions, of course, but they are more likely to do that than men if men are in the majority, as is the case here in games. Um, so that is something that I really do think about as well, and I'm sure they those guys here do too, um, is how can we make this easier for, for female and non-binary candidates to approach? And how can we phrase this in a way where they can feel like, oh, this is a place where I could belong, hence the topic I have a little bit later, but, you know, it's... You know, like having being able to point out, like this is a team you would be working on. You know, this is what you would be doing. Only listing, like this is what we need, not all the nice to haves. Um, this is a discussion I have a lot with my hiring managers. There's a lot of compromises that have to be made here because they often want, but like the perfect candidate is all of this, and I'm like, yes, it it is, and maybe you will get that. But maybe you will not get every single thing. And do you really want to have already eliminated a large part part of the pool just because they removed themselves from your candidacy? Because they are not gonna meet all of these things. They met nine out of ten. Is that good enough? You know, and, and that's a, that's a discussion we have quite a lot in-house as well.
1: I do you agree with the um what we add to the job description part? Uh, because, uh, you know, we have a lot of stereotypes, we have a lot of biases, uh, women already are afraid to, I don't know, go into gaming, go into the uh, tech world, because, well, programming is scary, because somebody said that the men are better. So, we you know, you have to be, like, more open, more transparent, what you're looking for. So we constantly speak with our hiring managers as well that, It's we don't have to add too many things into job description. We have to add the main things that you actually are looking for. We started talking about the blind hiring. I mean, not closing your eyes and taking something, but uh, just overall checking what you need, the expertise, you need the skills, you need the attitude. You don't need the, I don't know. And I do agree with Giselle, like we we are not choosing the gender. We're looking for the uh, the actual experience and the knowledge that we need but sometimes when we, we we use those I don't know we have those biases or stereotypes in our heads uh, it, it creates some mess uh, in, in in the selection of the candidates but uh have to be cautious what we are sharing and uh uh What we want to achieve, what kind of candidates we want to bring into our pipelines, we have to be honest that, well, look, maybe even like from marketing perspective, from employer branding perspective, how the post should look like on LinkedIn, not like saying that uh, maybe using the message, like what they shouldn't be afraid of if they will apply Maybe sharing some uh, challenges that the person will face off, and maybe this will attract the, the right person. Just sharing the title, for example, I don't know, the developer is scary enough already. How it's called, so you know we have to be a little bit more informative about that in order to have a little bit more diverse pool.
3: And I think the last piece is when it, when we approach hiring in any position, whether it be technical or not, then. Uh, looking at uh, a gender or not is, I think um, looking at a candidate in a way that how their skills are scalable. Like what um, we mentioned, that we're looking for skills, of course, but not every tick in the box should be met all the time. I personally feel that's my opinion, and I've shared this with my colleagues in in the past also that. Hiring for somebody who meets 60% of the requirements is probably a best bet than hiring for somebody who meets 100% of the requirements because they're going to be bored looking for something more to do, more challenges to, um, you know, more challenging positions a year down the line versus somebody who we can scale and groom into brings back to our point where we should hire more juniors or interns and scale them which makes them more committed towards the fact that, you know, I can probably grow in this company. Um, I probably have too many skills still to learn and I have pathways within the company from going to one department to another or something like that. So I think uh, hiring for somebody who is still has a lot of potential to grow is also going to be a good bet.
0: Amazing. Well, uh, Arnie, you've hinted a couple of times at your topic already and uh, I'm on the edge of my seat here, so let's not waste any more time. Uh, you've supposed the subtopic of how to create the feeling of belongingness and how can this differ? Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I think yeah, I've written it, your topic down wrong. What? What is it? Uh, we'll edit this bit out, by the way.
2: Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, so my topic is really all about why do we need to talk about belongingness? Um, and also just what can we do to make sure that women and non-binary people feel like they can belong in our organizations? Um, so so that's really what I I find a really important topic to speak about. I kind of hinted at it earlier earlier. Um, uh, when I talked about job advertisements, and I'm gonna try not to get too nerdy on this, uh, but I did write my master thesis about this, <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I'm gonna be a little careful here on this, um, but. I just found it really interesting when I was focusing on on job advertisements um, in my master's um, and I was focusing on gender. And this was mostly regards to hiring men for female dominated fields at the time. But when I was going through all that research, um, there was this one word that kept popping out all the time. And that was regarding women and belongingness. And and what it really focused on, you know, is that women, they tend to value belongingness above all else when it comes to which positions to apply for. Belongingness still matters to men. It's still up there, but it's not in the top. And by belongingness, that really means, you know, do I belong in this place? Like, do I have a space carved out for me here? Um, Am I going to stand out like a sore thumb? Will people listen to me? Um, Am I able to contribute here? And all of these things come together um, and this is of course very broad um, and this ties back to job advertisements you know being able to paint a picture of you know this is a group that you would be working with you know um, that whole idea of being able to envision the space that you're entering that really helps with this having role models you know being able to see other people that are like you as well that helps you think well if they belong there I probably could as well Um, you know, hearing about success stories, you know, um, reaching young people, what language are we using to describe, you know, the jobs, Uh, describe women or non-binary people at work, describe programmers, you know, do we need to always talk about, yes, these strong driven individuals that have this impact in a fast-paced environment, you know, all these images kind of conjure up that male vision um, that is very prevalent within the gaming industry. And we need to figure out a way to address this so that women and non-binary people feel like they actually belong here. So I think that's really what I wanted to raise here and talk a little bit about what it is that we can do about this together. And I'd love to also just hear what you guys are doing about this in your organization's.
1: So maybe I can start from uh, from my side. Uh, I do agree with that that we have to share many stories because what is ha- uh, coming from the employee side is really really well accepted by the people who read that those stories, the examples, the success stories, and everything. So that's what we are trying to do. From last year, uh, we are focusing a lot on the sharing the. Uh, success stories, overall stories, some feedbacks from uh, from our employees, um, especially women. We want to highlight actually how it is possible to come into our uh, a company, into gaming uh, industry. Recently shared some uh, QA promotions because we, we launched a QA course and we shared the examples how many QA uh women uh, came to uh, to our company that well it is possible look at their story look at their uh, feedback so i think many more things can be done uh, here but uh, we need to uh, be open and, and and talk i think it's easy to say yes to be open please share more but uh, overall, the uh, people that are within the company, they have to be engaged. They have to see the value. So we have to communicate and get the buy-in from them. So we're doing that through trainings, uh, many, many other meetings that, that we have uh, with different managers, with different specialists. And I think sometimes it takes some time. But yeah, just like give, showing the example. Uh, from our sides well, as well, as managers, as talent acquisition, we have to be an uh, example uh, to many people as well.
3: I certainly agree with that uh, for sure. What we are doing right now is a very recent thing that we've started is active listening. Um, we're taking the time to one-on-one listen to each and every individual and what concerns them, what their challenges are. And I think that has been we it has received a good kind of it's received a lot of appreciation, generally speaking, um, because it feels like you know uh, there's somebody to hear. There are so many people, not just women, but there are individuals who are super introverted also who wouldn't like to speak in a forum or in a meeting or raise their hand in front of a large group and say that you know this is my point and I want it to be noticed. But if you're doing that as a one-on-one thing and actively listening to somebody. That creates a, a very positive atmosphere from within the company, and I do understand that it's not possible when it's a huge company, uh, a massive size, but but at least I think this is one of the approaches that should be uh, done probably once in a while in a year with some groups, at least like focus groups kind of a thing. And the, there are other a lot of things that we could do to ensure that women belong is, is not just by um, the biggest thing that we haven't touched today is I'm surprised it didn't come along is uh, what women struggle with always, not just in gaming, but other industry, is equal pay opportunities. Um, I think looking at uh, ensuring that the salaries are also, uh, you know, not, uh, the salaries are basically gender neutral. Um, I think that is also something um, that would motivate um probably a person in a technical position to apply uh, who's a female versus a male. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with this as well. Um,
2: So obviously I am in Iceland. I believe we're currently sitting at the very top of the whole gender equality ladder of countries in the world at the moment. Um, So there are a lot of things that come with that as well, where we might not necessarily think something might be anything special until we hear other stories. Um, for instance, I mean, at CCP in our very highest level of leadership, um, two out of six there are women, you know, and, and this is something we never really talked about because we just thought, of course, why wouldn't they be there? You know, like they are experts in their field. They were most qualified when they applied for the positions or grew into them. Of course they are there. And we often forget to talk more about these things. Um, same when it comes to things like the equal pay as well. Um so we have done it like I think it's for over a decade now. we have done equal pay audits where we got somebody externally to come and evaluate every person's salary inside of the company. and they specifically focus on factors like gender and nationality and make sure there's no discrimination happening on the basis of these two things. And I can, with confidence say that there is no discrimination happening on these fronts because, We have looked into it and we have an unbiased person coming in to evaluate this, um, which is super cool. But I know that we as a company haven't really been as good as I would have liked to um, at talking about these things just because we find them so obvious. The equal pay audit, for instance, it's a legal requirement in Iceland and has been for a while. We started a few years before it was required, but still. But because of that, all other companies here are doing similar things. Um, so we forget to think about the global perspective in this. Um also, when it comes to like job advertisements, you know, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier about like the language that we use um, because there are very different things that speak to women in job advertisements. Um, like when you talk about the team and what collaborations you are doing or what kind of people you are working with, when you can better envision this whole role that you're about to do, that makes it more interesting for you to apply because you're like, well, that's an environment that speaks to me. Um, If we talk about the things that the company supports, like, you know, like the flexibility to, you know, if you have kids, you can jump out to pick them up from kindergarten or school and that's fine and doesn't affect your pay, you know. All of these things are really important as well because as we know, unfortunately, women often are more affected by these things just through society, even if, you know, it is getting a lot better, and 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 there's also more and more space for men to enter into like the more previously considered female-dominated areas as well. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of improvements to be made here, and and this is just something we need to talk more about to also make sure this is a space that is welcoming to women and non-binary people.
3: Um, 100% agree on that. I think one more cool thing to do would be probably um, include more women in the interview process or give a chance when a women female candidate is applying to have them talk to any not if I'm if a female candidate apply to a game design position, it doesn't have to be that you speak with a female employee in a game design. It could be anything. could be a programmer or could be in, in the HR team or uh, whatever, art team or whatever. But I think there should be a channel created uh, to have that conversation so that it um, gives them an opportunity to discuss any kind of challenges that they think that they are like, you know, challenges in their head, but they don't exist. Maybe once they've just spoken their heart out. So I think a channel to be created where more women can connect with each other even during the interview process, I think that would ease out the transition.
1: I think overall diversifying the, the, the interview panel uh, is it's really important uh, to for the candidates. Um, I myself, when I'm hiring to my team, I'm, I'm trying to include so many different people into the interview process for them to actually see what, uh, not just what I'm telling what you will, what, what were you going to do in this role, but I want you to meet the uh, the girl that I hired in Serbia or the the guy that I have for different team, but still my department in the US, for you to understand what kind of challenges we are facing globally, because well, us- usually when I'm hiring to my specifically team, we are hiring globally and we have to think globally. So I'm, I'm trying actually to, give those examples to our managers as well that it's a good thing actually to include people who are not managers who are not just men uh who are not from the location that uh, you are hiring for into the hiring process for them to actually see from different perspective, what 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 they are going to see when they if they will join the company. So I think this is a really important thing, and I do one hundred percent agree that we have to talk more because even now I believe many of you you are surprised that oh look, but we are doing this, but we are doing this, but we didn't share. So I think it's the 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 common thing in 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 many companies in many places that we sometimes even ourselves we don't think that we don't share enough because for us like it's awesome okay we are doing that but so who who is going to talk out loud and uh, who actually will know that you are doing we are as a company we're doing so many things and I actually can confirm we are not talking enough about that
2: I completely agree with you there. And like, it's just, I think a part of this also because it just seems so obvious. Of, of course, you want the company where people are happy to come into work and people are treated like human beings and we're equal. And, you know, events are like created with the thought in mind that it, it works for, for the majority and for anybody regardless of race nationality gender all the factors you know it's just it just seems so obvious which is why i think we like might not always talk enough about it because it just of course we're already doing these things you know and and this is something that we have been discussing a lot in-house at ccp because we have been doing a lot of things for a very long time but you know we haven't always been as good at talking about it so we're we're doing our best to improve the talking bit about it because i think that's really what's going to also lead to a change in the long run
0: uh well i don't think there's any final points there i think we've pretty much covered absolutely everything so uh yeah thank you very much to you for listening to the evolution exchange gaming podcast and i want to say a big thank you as well to our panel today renata Anna, and giselle for taking part lending their time and their insights into these interesting topics um so yeah one last thank you to you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode we look forward to welcoming you again very soon